managing editor and host of Pop That Talk, award-winning journalist Terrell Chatterbox Emerson. Welcome to it. Welcome to it. It is 12.15 on a Sunday afternoon, so you guys know what time it is. It is time for Talk That Talk. I am in the studio once again, second time, and one of the things that you'll learn about this this media company in general, we, we do it with the radio show, the podcast, I can't help but count. We're going to do this until we lose count. So right now, I know for a fact that this is the second time that we've had this person on the show. It will not be the last time. But to my right, this particular time in this particular studio, my guy, Matt Raftery. What's going on, man? What's going on, Chatterbox? What's going on, man? I'm living a dream. I'm living a dream. Um, where are we at with it? Where are we at with it? First, of, Well, first of all, we're starting a couple minutes late. Happy Halloween to everybody. Happy Halloween to everybody, to you and yours. Uh, please be safe out there today. I'm not sure what people have planned. I'm not sure what people have um, kind of scheduled kind of all weekend. I've been seeing a lot of festivities this weekend. So to everybody, be safe. Happy Halloween to you and yours. But football doesn't stop. Football doesn't stop. Football doesn't stop. We got a couple of one-possession games, and we got a couple of blowouts, so I think we, we might want to hop right into it. Week 8 is pretty interesting. This game, I'm going to see if I want to start with the fourth quarter game and the third quarter. Let's start with the fourth quarter, the game that's in the fourth quarter, and that would be taking place in Atlanta from the Mercedes-Benz Dome. And the Carolina Panthers have been going through a stretch right now where Sam Darnold hasn't been playing his best. And this is a game that's very winnable for them. And right now they're holding, they, they're clinging to a lead, I'll say right now, to a 12-10 to 10 lead. What about 14 minutes to go in that final quarter? AFC East is always interesting to watch, right, at least at the top. The Buffalo Bills currently sit at the top, and they're taking advantage of the 1-6 Miami Dolphins. I wonder how Saleem feels about that. The Dolphins only have three points up on the board right now, and we have two minutes to go before we enter the fourth quarter. This game was hard for me to pick. We're going to get to the pick maybe a little bit. Um, maybe to start the show, actually. We'll talk about the pick a little bit to start the show since we're starting with week eight in the NFL. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers are trailing, even though they have the ball with two minutes left in the third quarter. They're down 16-15 to the Chicago Bears from Soldier Field. Another one-point game is probably a game that, that – that, that matters a little more, especially considering that we just came off of that San Francisco-Chicago game. But this game is taking place in Cleveland. The Cleveland Browns have a 10-9 lead over the Pittsburgh Steelers with less than two minutes to go before the fourth quarter. I want to get to the rest of these, um, to rest of these close games before I get to the blowouts. We have a tie one from MetLife. The 1-5 Jets, their only win has come from home. They're looking for their second win currently. They're just knocked home a 24-yard field goal. They currently just tied the game at 17 with the Cincinnati Bengals. 5-17 to go in the third quarter of that one. 4-0-3 in the third quarter down in Indianapolis. Tennessee Titans. This is a game that I feel like it shifts twice a year, every year. Mm -hmm. This is always the game that it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a pick them. Every single year, both times. And the third time if they play in the postseason. But currently the Tennessee Titans hold a 21-17 to lead over the Colts. Let's talk about these blowouts if you want to. We got two 38-0 games. I'll let you guys pick what they are, but based on the morning games, we should know that the Houston Texans are down big at home, 38 to nothing to the L.A. Rams. Matt Stafford is having, a, is having a day in addition to that. The winless Detroit Lions are probably going to lose this one too. 
They're down 38-0 to zero to the Philadelphia Eagles. I said at the beginning of the year that my hot take was the Detroit – I almost said the Detroit Pistons, by the way. The Detroit Lions were going to cut their losses, and if they could not trade Jared Goff, they were going to cut Jared Goff. Wow. Not because I didn't think that they thought he could play. Just seemed like the most Detroit thing to do. Oh, sure. I think, well, it's interesting because you think about all the capital that the Rams had to give up to get uh, Stafford. It doesn't necessarily sound like an all that bad of an idea if you want to cut Jared Goff. You have a lot of draft capital to use. Um, I get this year's probably not the best year for a quarterback. For sure. So, and knowing the Lions, they would probably want to throw that rookie quarterback in week one. It may be worth hanging on to Jared Goff at least till maybe the trade trade deadline next year, only because if you want, if you're serious, if you're the Lions, you're probably going to have at worst a top five pick. Right. I don't see them being better than one of the worst five teams in the league, so you'll probably be drafting a quarterback. I would imagine they're already the worst. Exactly. I mean, and th- and this is like if they Miami Dolphin it and they start off really bad and then they start winning some games late. Which um, Dan- the Dan Campbell effect might be real. It could be. And the Dan Campbell effects, kind of speaking of him, now that I kind of just randomly and kind of just ejected him into the conversation, I feel like that's kind of the reason why Jerry Goff is there. You don't want to start Dan Campbell out with automatically behind the A ball, right? Right. And I mean, a guy like Dan Campbell, it, your heart almost starts to break for this guy at a certain point because. You can sense the energies there. You can sense he's passionate about it. And they've already had a few games this year where I would make the case they should have won those games. They, they, they weren't like blowouts. They're not like 38-0 to zero as they are right now. Um, th- they were right there for the taking. And I, I think if you're the Lions, I don't know if you should be surprised, concerned. I, I don't know because <laughs> – this is the Lions we're talking about here. They haven't really been good as of recent. They're they're in a division that's been owned by Aaron Rodgers. They've been basically the worst team in that division, maybe trading spots with Chicago every now and then, but for the most part, they've been the worst team in the NFC North. And I don't know if you're a Lions fan, if you should have really any expectations of this team anymore. It's kind of, kind of remnants of like UNLV football. Hmm. What are the expectations because of recent history? I don't know if you can have any. Hmm. I like where you went with that, first of all, because we're actually going to end the show with UNOV. I do want you to do this right now because since we do anticipate you being on a couple more shows, at at the very least, you want to claim your allegiance right now and tell the world? Because everybody here, of course, you know our Florida man fact checker. You kind of know what he's going to give you. We know Tyler's favorite teams. We know Duna's favorite teams. We know mine. We know everybody else's here's. You want to go ahead and claim your football team right now? So for the longest time, probably since I was 10 or 11 years old, I have been a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers. I remember watching their last Super Bowl win. Santonio Holmes tiptoeing himself into the end zone. Great catch. That's really when I first started watching the Steelers and becoming a fan of them. And I... I'll say, um, let me see if I can word this correctly. I support the Raiders because they're here. If they were Absolutely. in Oakland, I wouldn't root for them. But because they're in Las Vegas, I, I do support the Raiders. So technically, I like the Steelers and the Raiders. Yeah, they're the home team. Yeah. Like, that's that's all you have to say from here on out. Right. They're the home team. Right. Like, who wouldn't root for the home team? I have no choice. Um, This, this Pittsburgh thing. You mm-hmm. said that you watched their last Super Bowl. Obviously, last Super Bowl win, obviously. Did you watch their last Super Bowl loss? Sadly. 
Yeah, I did. I just wanted to bring it up. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. It's okay. I just wanted to have fun with it. You know what's funny? I, I said this a couple of years ago, and this is not where I wanted this show to go. We were not supposed to start with football, but when it's football season, it's typically how shows go. Right. But I'm not. How do I want to put? How do, how do I want to put this? I'm not the biggest fan of what I said in the past. But it came a point where I sat there and I said, we're going to look back in history. Like when I said it in the moment, it was kind of profound to me because I was just talking to myself and I brought it to the show. I was sitting at home thinking. And I said, this is so weird. I said, but. If you look back at all of these stats now, let's say 10 years from now, 20 years from now. We're going to look back and we're not going to be able to tell this snapshot of football's history without Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. Right. Obviously, amongst others. I take those two names because I sat there and I thought, huh, one of those guys is going to retire with one ring. And I sat there and said, wait, 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 wait. Even more than that, one guy is going to retire with one appearance. Hmm. Both might. Aaron looks great this year. Yeah. But yeah. when I said that a couple of years ago, we're already halfway there. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Aaron's got a ring. He's got has he only got one appearance in the Super Bowl? One. He's so he's got so he's got a ring. He's like one four in the NFC championship. It's unbelievable. He's yeah, he's got one ring, he's got a Super Bowl appearance, and then you look at Breeze. One ring and one Super Bowl appearance. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> it's going to be impossible for us to look back and be like, oh, well, Brett got – or Aaron got one, Drew got one. The thing I'm going to – I'm, I'm going to be happy, especially be growing up a Packer fan about Aaron, but I'm going to sit there and say, yeah, but he went to one. Right. That's going to bother me forever. It just is what it is at this point. I didn't want to start with football. We're actually going to end the show with football. So we're going to try our best to get back into the swing of things. My phone is over here charging. So let me see if I can get my mom's tip in really quick. Uh, she sent me a link. So if I cannot get it. Oh, bet. There we go. Hmm. Interesting. Interestingly enough, she sent this one. Sometimes it takes an overwhelming breakdown to have an undeniable breakthrough. Interesting. I like where she went with this because my mom, little does she know, when she sends me these quotes, and obviously we use them for the show, I tell her all the time, a lot of times you're saying things that we use and we relate to sports topics, whether you understand the sports topics or not. So I'm happy she sent that because when we get to the second portion of uh, this first hour, we're going to revisit that. So. I want to start with Clinton Yates. You ready for this? Let's do it. So I want to see if I can pull up the actual. It. <laughs> Let's see if it'll come up. So anyway, so while I'm looking that up, the Atlanta Braves obviously making the World Series has created a stir. Mm-hmm. And the interesting part about that is part of the stir has nothing to do with the baseball team on the field. 
has everything to do with the stands. Now, Clinton Yates recently wrote this article for The Undefeated. Have you seen this? I haven't yet. Nice. Even better. His headline is, Manfred misses the mark with Braves. Did you hear what Rob Manfred said? I did not even. So in case you guys are unfamiliar with who Rob Manfred is at home, Rob Manfred is the commissioner of the of Major League Baseball. Right. I wonder if he put his quote, his exact quote in. Uh, yeah, he did. <laughs> All right, here we go. A quote from Rob Man- Rob Manfred. I guess we we could say that this is a part of that's out there now. So we do this segment on the show where I think too many people say things in the world, and it goes unconsequential. And a lot of people, uh, even though we're younger. We're still kind of in the age to where we grew up, where we still kind of had to go outside. Mm -hmm. So the social media thing, I'm not used to saying things without knowing that you're going to see that person one day. So it's just like social media kind of gets me. So we have this segment on here called That's Out There Now, and it means exactly what it is. It's hashtag That's Out There Now. So I will see stuff throughout the week. I will screenshot it because I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the week. But when we get here. We're going to let you know that that's out there now. We already saw that. We saw it. We have it. We're going to talk about it. That happened. Rob Manfred, at least as of right now, to my knowledge, he has not retracted this. And this is what he said earlier this week. The, let me, I guess I should preface this. Pref, I'm going to preface this by saying that this article is about the Tomahawk Chop. Okay. And the Braves fans uh, tradition, I should say. And we all know about sports traditions. And the interesting part here, considering that we have a senior here at this school, we have a graduate here from this school. This is something that this campus does. Now, let me get to what Rob Manfred said. The Native American community in that region is wholly supportive of the Braves program, including the Tomahawk Chop. For me, that's kind of the end of the story. In that market, we're taking into account the Native American community. To that you say what? I, I think it's, it's one of those that in... I'm going to I'm going to try and word this the right way. Of course. It's one of these things where it hasn't thought of to become a problem until somebody brings it up. Be like on the surface, the tomahawk chalk, you just go, "Okay, yeah, that's the Braves thing. Like that's what they do. That's their home atmosphere like, you know." But nobody ever like comes in and and thinks, "Oh, that's offensive." Until somebody says that. And Maybe you could even make the case going back to the re- the Redskins. You can make the case going back to I'm trying to think of even even the Rebels for that matter. Cleveland Indians. Cleveland Indians. It's never Florida been, State Seminoles, but I'm, I'm gonna mention them too. But they're a little different in that regard, I believe. It's never been a problem historically. I mean, th- these names have been around for decades. Right. It hasn't been a problem for what 50, 60, 70 years, depending on how long these names have been out there. But now that we're in the year 2021, it's suddenly a problem it's suddenly now offensive it wasn't offensive 30 40 50 60 years ago or even when the name was first created and it had to be approved by countless owners and boards and whatnot 
it wasn't offensive back then. Nobody thought, especially during that time frame. If you go back and you look at that time frame, if you would have thought that there's a time where it could be offensive, you would think it would be back then and not today. To be quite honest with you, with you, I think that the one thing that I guess I would say that I would steer clear of is you already said it before. It's already such a sensitive topic. You want to try to like word your pick your words wisely. But I think the idea behind questioning if it wasn't a problem before, I think then this, this goes to your credit in terms of the point that you just brought up. I think the big factor is it doesn't get as much attention until somebody brings it up. And this goes back to my entire point. If the Dodgers were in the world series, we probably wouldn't be talking about it right now. Right. It's an unpopular team in the World Series. I'm not going to say that what they're saying is right or wrong. It's similar to what you just said it here on campus, the Rebels. I have stuff with Reb on it. Yeah, of course. I have no choice. I went to the school. However, I also told Dr. Javon Johnson, shout out Doc, uh, when we did our Juneteenth event last year, that was one of the th- it was not on the, it was not on the list, but it was one of those things that me and him disagreed about in class. And I told him I understood why people would want Hey Reb to be gone. I get it. However, I'm on campus, and I just don't think that's first and foremost what we should be talking about right now. That's just me. Because now we get rid of Reb. Cool. Did we hire more minority teachers? I didn't think so. So it doesn't it doesn't change much for me, and that was my entire point. The only thing I will say about the, uh, the Braves and the Tomahawk Shop, as I said before, coming from a campus that – does it frequently um there's a tomahawk on the jersey yeah i just wonder how many people pay attention to that as well again we're not trying to decipher what's right and what's wrong we're trying to decipher why this is getting so much attention now my only answer is that they're in the world series now what i will say is i have heard moments where this has come up before I can't pinpoint what was going on like in previous times that I've heard it brought up before. I mean, I, I guess it's one of those things to where we asked the Washington football team to change their name for so long that Dan Snyder dug his heels in and said that we're never changing the name, kind of get over it. And people still kind of found their opportunities to kind of be like, well, you, sh- you should change that. You know, two or three years later down the line, still looking at him like, you should, you should probably still change that. Yeah. <laughs> and then ultimately he did. So, we're getting the Cleveland Guardians next year. So, I mean, I think that it's worth looking into, similar to what I said about Hey Reb on campus. Cool. I guess it's weird for me because I know the person in the suit. So it's one of those things to where it's like I get the I get the imagery. I completely get it. So my question just goes back to now that we've done it, what did that change? It didn't change anything. I think – I'll start, I guess I'll start with a UNLV perspective. From UNLV perspective, it changed absolutely nothing. Remember, we didn't retire the name Rebels. Yeah, Re- that name is true. still there. So all you got rid of was a mascot. You didn't retire the name. And again, it's one of those. The average student, I would put, I would be willing to put money down on it. They weren't until it was brought to their attention when they heard Rebels, or if they'd gone to a game and they've seen Hey Reb. They, the first thing that came to their mind, I guarantee you, was, I'm, I'm offended by that. I guarantee that's not the first thing that they thought of when they saw Hey Reb. They're either probably at a sporting event, 
They're cheering on their school. They're having a good time. They're chilling in the student section. I guarantee they're not sitting there going, man, you know, that Hey Reb costume, he's just really offensive. Like, it, it doesn't make sense. And it's one of those, I, I can go on a tangent for probably days on this alone, but. It's it's one of those topics. It, it To me, to put it lightly, it felt like one of those that it was formed by a group of students that could care less about going to college. They were worried about so many outside. As far as rip? Well, no, as far as just, like, actually going to college itself, like going oh. to the classes. They were so concerned with the outside noise, and they wanted to stir up as many uh, outside problems as they could. And that was kind of my my reasoning behind it was it's like you're paying so much attention to a mascot, and yet you're still you're going to school. You know, either you're paying for it or it's being paid for in some way, form, or fashion to get an education. At the end of the day, your education is not being affected by a mascot. I can guarantee you that. It's not like, hey, Reb is literally sitting in front of your class teaching your Com 104 lecture. Right. So and that's and, and my whole thing is, too, and I, it could be my, and I told my teacher this, and I won't get into the exact comparison that I used because that's a podcast conversation. Right. But um, I'm a firm believer in things are what you make it. And because of that, like I told him, I understand imagery and everything else. And then I could see if with as many, and I've mentioned this before, let's talk about diversity. I tell people all the time that one of the easiest places to be able to tell diversity is sports, right? Right. Let's look at all of our athletes. Yeah. Let's look at all of our coaches. Makes you pause, doesn't it? It does. Well, there's... It's almost like a flip-flop effect. The exact opposite. So it, 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 I told my teacher at the time, Javon Johnson, for me, going back to what I said, the power is what is, is, isn't what you give the power to. And I could see if I saw Hey Rib interacting in a weird way with the athletes that would make me kind of question certain things. I kind of told him, with all due respect, I get us a mascot, but let's talk. Hey, Red wouldn't make it. Like, we would figure out who's under there. Like, you get what I mean? So yeah. that's why I was just like, I could see if he was doing racist stuff on campus. Like, that's why I was like, I get it, the imagery. I get it. It's a, it's the Confederate flag effect. Right. Like, we know what the Confederate flag is. It, it's a Confederate figure. We know what it is. I'm one of the biggest advocates when it comes to the Confederate flag. No. I get it. Like, I understand what trauma that causes. I don't know if Reb gave the same trauma. Again, we're not sitting here trying to determine what's right or wrong. Right. But I do think there's levels to it. And again, like I said, I'm not saying that, hey, Reb shouldn't have been gone. But I look at coaching. I look at other areas on campus that's kind of like maybe we should have gave all our resources toward that. Well, I would have been okay if UNLV came out when they originally wanted to remove Hey Reb's statue and say, you know what? We're gonna retire the name Rebels. Mm -hmm. We're gonna go. We're gonna start completely fresh. We'll right. get. We'll have a new name, new mascot. That would have made a lot more sense. But when they removed the mascot, um, or the statue, I guess, in front of one of the, I think it was the alumni center, it if is. I'm not mistaken. M not mistaken. Yep. And Tam then I and then I heard, hold on, they're they're keeping the name Rebels. They just don't want the imagery. I said, well, hold on, that doesn't make any sense at all. If you're gonna remove the imagery of a rebel because of 
its historical meaning, wouldn't it make sense to retire the name with it as well? And so the other point that really, it, I'm going to put it out there. Mm -hmm. It's just something to think about. I can't tell you one way or the other. I guarantee you, especially as of recent, you know, the Native American community has probably made a, a, a handsome amount of money off of the name, formerly of the Redskins, oh. the Indians, the Braves, because they're sports figures. They're getting that TV revenue. And I'm sure there's somewhere in a contract that, you know, whether it's with a certain tribe of the Native American community or however it may be worded where X amount of TV time, X amount of merchandise sales right. goes in support of that. See, and that's the thing too. I don't know. I know Dan Snyder for one period of time had donated money towards some Native American causes. Right. I'm not sure if he has any, if the Washington football team has anything set up. The only reason why I say that is because thank you for actually bringing the, the point back full circle because I brought up the Florida State Seminoles. Yeah. It's the one, si the one situation kind of overall where you don't hear much about it, right? Yeah. Because the Seminole tribe has okayed that. Right. They've okayed what the campus stands on and the values and obviously the, the football team, the imagery, everything else. It hasn't been universal for the Washington football team. It wasn't universal for Cleveland. It wasn't universal for the Braves. So now it leads me to believe like, well, and not to sound like that either, but we could do surveys all day long and we could ask people on campus about the rebels, the, Re the rebels upside, mm -hmm. UNLV's uh, football team's upside. Right. If you go around this campus, you're going to be pretty optimistic. Even still, if you go right off campus, you're probably still going to be probably, 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 excuse me, probably pretty optimistic. That was a lot of peas. Probably pretty optimistic. There it goes. However, go to L.A. Go to Oregon. Go to Washington. Go. To, you get my point? Mm -hmm. The more that we move away from Vegas, you're going to get people that, by the time you get to Oklahoma, they're going to look at you and say, you know, be football? You guys are probably a decade out. Like, they don't, they wouldn't know. Right. So, I say that to say, I think a lot of these teams are, of course, the Braves, the Atlanta fan base is like, look at the arena. It's lit up. Everybody's doing the tomahawk chop. Yeah, they're in the building. There's more people outside than inside. What does that matter to me? More people might be offended than that than more people that are out for it. So that doesn't change anything for me. Now, going back to the uh, UNLV point, I'm absolutely in agreement with you. If you're going to retire Hey Reb, Rebels kind of has to go with it by default. I understand you don't want to do it because of the history with UNR. It just is what it is. What is taking this campus so long? I don't know the school name because I'm literally over here looking for synonyms, and I don't see any good ones. However, whatever our school name is, great. But why is this? Why is it taking this school so long to use a shark as the mascot? I think, to be quite frank, I think the school was worried that if they used the shark as a mascot, let's say right before the or right after the retirement of Jerry Tarkanian, 
it was going to, in a sense, put the school in a bad light because of, I think it was well documented. The while Tark was fantastic on the court, I don't think anybody would have taken that away. There were also many, whether documentaries or just well documented in itself, that Tark off the court was an interesting character. And one the roosters come home to roost at some point. Yeah, UNLV's hands are, aren't blood free in this situation either. No, and to the point of just the t- the name Rebels in itself, I'm all for, like I said, change it. If we want to change the name completely, change the mascot, I get it, especially UNLV being so prideful on being literally different, daring, and diverse. That is the motto of UNLV. Right. I say that to then raise the question, when are we going to have those same conversations with Ole Miss, given where they're located? You won't hear an argument from me. What's that? I said you won't hear an argument from oh, me. Oh, okay. I said you, you want to hear an argument. No, I said you won't hear one from me. You know, like it's, And that's why it goes back to if they were a top five team in the country competing for a, a college football championship, now we're looking at the Ole Miss Rebels like, I don't know. I mean, if we're going to make such a big stink and such a big stir about UNLV Rebels, which is located in Las Vegas, compared to Ole Miss Rebels, which is located in the state of Mississippi – and we want to bring a historical tie back to it, I, I mean, I don't know how much more offensive it could get than having the term rebels in the southern portion of the United States. I agree. And it, it goes back to selective outrage. And as I said before, you may we, – we keep continue, – we continue to say because of such a uh, a, a tense topic, we're not saying what's right or what's wrong – but you may go back and look at all of these situations and deem them all is wrong. But if they are all wrong, it goes back to your original point. How do we rank them? Right. Do you change them all at once? Like, so it's just one of those things to where we're never going to get the answer in terms of is everybody going to be on one accord at once and change the name like that? I don't ever see that happening. So this is just a conversation that we're going to continue to have. It'll be the Braves now and UNLV two years from now, and it'll be the Ole Miss Rebels three years from now. It's just – it seems like what we're going to continue to run into. I think it's interesting because then I, it starts for me to beg the question and start stretching this out a little bit further. What else are we going to start deeming as not acceptable? In five years, are we going to say that the term Patriots is somewhat offensive? You know, and I'm not saying it's going to change. I'm not saying this or that. I'm just, it's one of those that. It's crazy to think about now, but right. in five or ten years when the question starts getting raised and the voices start becoming a little bit louder, you go, huh, I never thought of it that way. Much like we thought with the Redskins, the Braves, the Indians, et cetera, et cetera, right. where on the surface you thought, okay, those are the Atlanta Braves. Like You didn't think much behind it until it was brought up in different forms of media, social media, whatever the case may be. That got people to think. And to your original point, if this was the Yankees and the Dodgers, nobody would care. Like, honestly, nobody would and care. And even then, the Yankees are the Yankees. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, and it, it almost one, it almost begs the question does your team's popularity and your team's success dictate how much you can get away with as far as your team name? Because I don't know. The interesting part is the answer was yes to your question before you said team name. When you bring team name into it, I think now we have a different dynamic. Because now I think the answer continues to be yes, but now we're we're seeing the problem. 
Because, I mean, are you going to sit there and now raise the question of we need to change the name Yankees? Because I get you're going to get a lot of long-time – I'm a, I'm an agreement. I think you have to look at it, but you're going to also get a lot of those longtime baseball supporters that go, oh, no, this that's the Yankees. I mean, they're traditional. Again, you pick one, not the other. You start becoming very selective. And maybe it's just me, but I feel like a lot of these are super, like, fixable with the drop with 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 the, with the push of a button. The New York pinstripes. Yeah, it, it's not. And, I don't think it's that difficult. And to make the argument that you know there's not funding or whatever, that you you don't have to change the logo. Like no. it's just. Well, the Yankees, they're a very wealthy franchise. If they wanted to rebrand, they could certainly do that. It's not going to cost Brian Cashman all that much money at all. I think the worst thing that the Yankees would have to do if they rebrand it is dealing with the New York fan base. That's it. Like, and that's gonna last forever. It lasts for, but like you just said, if they go and win it all the year after, nobody's these new hats look a little. These new hats look a little better. Exactly, look a little better with the World Series paint in in the uh, in the diamond. Uh, we're actually gonna give you guys a little bit more of a second before we get to the uh, the rest of our week eight scores. And what we're gonna try to do, we're gonna try to get through the first three fights from the main card from last night's UFC 267. Uh, did you see it? I saw some of the results. I didn't get to see the fights, but... Uh, let, let's address this right now. So it's happened one time to me where I was covering the fight. And I woke up, and I actually had plans to go to brunch that day. And I was getting dressed, and I looked down at my phone, and it said prelim starting something. And I said, okay. I didn't know that this was starting this morning. I look it up. Obviously, the fight was in Abu Dhabi. This was when Robert Whitaker was fighting. I said, okay, this makes sense to me now. It's in Abu Dhabi. Every event from Abu Dhabi that starts in the morning for us gets me. After that first time, I said, you should be used to this now. And every single Abu Dhabi card has gotten me. So I, I, this one wasn't going to happen. I said, I'm waking up. There's, this, this card is stacked from top to bottom. I'm waking up early just to lay in bed and have it on the iPad just so I can stay in the bed. Like, I just want it right here so I don't have to move, and that's what I'm going to do. Amazing card. I don't even know where to start. I think I'm going to start with Hazmat Chimaev. His win over Lee Jing Leong. I don't even, and the funny thing is because the computer's running so slow in here, I don't have the official times. I didn't write it down into my, into my notes. There's a moment where I think when you, you look at some of the greatest fighters ever and you say, that was the moment when I realized. And I think it happens at different stages for everybody. But Hazmat Chemaev last night made quick work of Lee of Lee. Jing Liang, excuse me. And Lee is Lee's a scrapper. And the interesting part about that fight was he never got the opportunity to scrap. I was going to say did Lee even show up to the fight? And that's the weird part. I think and and of course in in moments like that when it looks that lopsided, you you start to wonder like was your was your mind in it? Was you did something go wrong backstage? I'm, I, we've been trying our best not to say, like, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure of something. I don't know Lee personally. I'm about 90% sure 
that Lee was a hundred percent game. Yeah. I think that just goes back to show that Hazmat Shamayev had an unbelievable showing last night. Yeah, I mean, looking at the times, this fight was over in the first round, and I think pretty pretty early on in the first round. Yeah, and the thing is too with the way that he attacks, and it's just Dagestan is different. Period. Dagestan is different. When I see these Nurmagomedov trained fighters, the the corner doesn't react, even when it's over. That's the interesting part to me. Yeah, I mean, you look at the the numbers. It's it's almost like, you know, Lee was just sitting there, just willing to take it. Because you have, what, one headshot, didn't have control at all for any time of uh, during that fight, didn't have any takedowns, didn't have any sub-attempts, didn't, you know, anything like that. Complete offense was stalled. And you look on the other side for uh, Chimavev, he had three sub-attempts. He, I think, went one of two on takedowns, mm-hmm. uh, controlled three minutes and one second. Completed all the headshots he was going for, twenty five of twenty five. That's the, that's that's the killer right there. The the precision is already there. Right. You've talked about the hounding nature by default. You just read the numbers off. You talk about the hounding nature, and it's one of those things to where, like you just said, when you look at some of the highlights and you look at just the just the uh, the uh, numbers, it looks one sided. You see the fight, it is one sided. And it just it it kind of is what it is, and I think it like I said before, I think it, it more so speaks to the training that is coming from Dagestan as a whole. And uh, I'm gonna skip the second one for a second because we're gonna get back to it. It's the heavyweight division, but that actually takes me into Islam Makashev when his in his defeat over Dan Hooker. Now I just said what I said about Lee, and Lee has performed on. Or performed as that scrapper, like I told you, on a different level compared to the guy that I'm about to mention next, which is Dan Hooker. I think a lot of people forget this, and I refuse to let it be forgotten because I've almost forgotten every other great fight this year, it seems like. Um, I won't say Stipe and DC3 because of the eye poke. Um, Brandon Moreno... Davidson Figueredo, that was the end of December, the first one. That was the end of December. So as far as this year, in terms of greatest fight or best fights, we've had a lot of them in fight nights, a lot of them in the apex. One of the best ones, and I think for me, it's probably top two in terms of fight of the year this year, what Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker did in the first event from the apex I told my dad, I don't care if nobody else has ever watched mixed martial arts. You became a fan of one, if not both of those guys that night. So the fact that Dan Hooker didn't hop on a flight back to the UK to go home, but opted to go straight to Abu Dhabi from Vegas where he was living currently, I should say staying, and training for his last fight, which was a victory, this opportunity presented itself. So he skips that opportunity to go home, and because of the flight regi- or the flight uh, restrictions back home, 
he may not be back home in time for Christmas. Yeah. So he goes to Abu Dhabi, similar to what we talked about with Lee, clearly a game opponent. Ran into a buzzsaw. Dan Hooker, after the fight, after being caught in that Kimura, it, it was more of a shoulder lock, it seemed like. But when he got caught in it, obviously he tapped. When he gets up, I forgot, I actually can't remember which referee it was. He makes eye contact with the referee, and you see him kind of shake his head. And once he stands up, he gets more frustrated once he stands up. And I think once he stood up, Dan realized he was entirely fresh. Similar to what we said about Hazmat Chemaev, his opponent had no offense. Offense was stalled. No, and this has kind of been a trend this year so far with with Dan Hooker, kind of just going into fights that he's been outmatched in. He looked great in his last bout, of course. Obviously, it was a win, but... Right, I mean, I think he's... In the year 2021, I believe one and two now. One and two uh, had the loss at the beginning of the year. I think this was during the Apex. Let me look this up. Which one? With Dan? With Dustin Poirier? Poirier. That was that was a, that was. Oh my bad. That was year. June 20. Uh, June 2020. So wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Pause. With Poirier. Time wait. Pause. Time out. Wait. Wait a minute. We are 16 months removed from Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker. Yep. June 27th, 2020 is when they fought. Did I just give them fight of the year for back-to-back years? You may have. With a name like Dustin Poirier, I don't know if that's necessarily a wrong decision. <laughs> that is not – this quarantine has messed up everything. We're not even in a quarantine anymore, but the fact that we're still in this pandemic, that doesn't seem like 16 months ago. And then after Dustin Poirier, he fought Michael Chandler. Right. And we know how that went. And even then – Another situation where he felt like the fight's just getting started, especially in comparison to what we just talked about, these two fights, uh, Chandler and Chemayev, in comparison to the Dustin Poirier fight, we saw Dan Hooker go through a, a, a beating on one end and dish out just as much, if not more, on the other end and get stronger as the fight was going. So to see these two losses to Chemayev and Chandler take place so early I, I, like you said before, it's just one of those things with Dan Hooker. It kind of just makes you question a couple of things. He's an amazing fighter. You don't question his heart, but I think he's he has the opportunity to win every fight. But when certain situations go wrong like that, we just have no answer. And you look at the two losses so far in 2021 that Michael Ch- or that Dustin Hooker or Dan Dan Hooker. Sorry, I'm thinking Dustin Poirier. All good. We, we've been talking about DP the whole time. <laughs> that Dan Hooker has. He hasn't gotten out of the first round. So when he loses, it's it's bad. It's like quick. It makes you kind of wonder if the blueprint on Dan Hooker is kind of being drawn up. Attack early. Don't let him in don't let him into the fight. Attack early. Yeah. And it's one of those that it, it, I mean, you look at Dan Hooker's resume and you and the immediate reaction is Wow, this guy is up and down. Yeah, he is a roller coaster ride and a half. You don't. You, he's going to be great one fight, and obliterated the next. The interesting part about that too is how many times have we said it in the, in mixed martial arts, the UFC specifically? You just said he's a roller coaster. Probably one of the most fun roller coasters to watch in the in, in the UFC easily. 
I, every Dan Hooker fight, I'm there for. I'm going to be there. Every Darren Till fight, I'm going to be there for. Every Conor McGregor. It's just certain people, you're going to be there. Like, you want to see whether they're going to win or, or they're going to lose. Um, You're getting those in every division now. Multiple in every division now. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about the heavyweights because we won't talk about them anymore during this little segment. But Alexander Volkov, the man known as Drago, uh, defeated Marcin Sabura. It, it, it's one of those typical heavyweight fights where um you get two guys who respect each other's power and then one guy just goes <laughs> one guy has to just trust his ability and just go and ironically enough i guess it shouldn't shock very many people but alexander volkov the veteran uh was the guy to lead the dance uh tabura couldn't really get off in moments and it, it it we we just talked about roller coasters and how how up and down it can be and i got to be honest with you alexander volkov is somebody that i have looked at for the last 6 years or so 7 years or so and said he should be heavyweight champ one day interesting he has all the makings to be a heavyweight champ and then i see fights with derek lewis and even the moments where he's hurt Derek Lewis, I'm like, this is why I said that. When I saw what he did to Alistair Overeem, this is why I said that. And then I look at the end of the, of the Derek Lewis fight. And then I look at some of his other losses, and I'm... It goes back to the Dan Hooker thing. I see everything that it takes to make you great. When you lose, I have no explanation for it. Yeah. I, I just don't have one. I think that's kind of the consensus, whether it's boxing or whether it's UFC. When you see a guy lose that maybe probably shouldn't lose a fight or you're not expecting to, the immediate reaction is, how did that happen? Right. That's not supposed to happen. And I get it. Sometimes, depending on the method of loss, sometimes you just get a bad decision from the judges. Right. It's been very well documented in boxing, I think, that... Um, some of the judges have been uh, very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I'd probably say that too. Possibly paid off. Uh, you know, um, slipped a couple Benjamins in the right pockets. You never know. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Boxing is so blatant. Yeah. I think that's why it's just one of those things to where it's not even a secret anymore. Who's paying you? Like, I just right. we just need to know at this point. Like, there's a bunch of Tim Donahue's running around boxing right now. Right. There is. And I would be very – this is probably – I'm not going to try and get too off track here because this could be a – I dip, like it. This could be a uh, a whole documentary series on its own. But oh, I like it. Why not do a little bit of an investigation on some of these boxing judges? I'm with it. And go and go real in-depth. You want to really go – you want to really push the envelope? Let's do it. I'm willing to go as far as the commission itself. Yeah. Why not? And it may even be one of those things where do we take a good look at sports as a whole from an officiating standpoint? Hmm. Especially with sports betting becoming that was when was that? That was legalized federally. How many years ago? Two years ago? Uh, PAPSFA was ooh, four or five years, maybe. It was in the. What is wrong with my time frames during this Let time? Let me look that up because. Well, why you do that? I'm over here trying to figure out why I need to stare at a calendar for the next 60 days need to figure out what's going on with my times 
But while you're actually looking that up, I will let you guys know about these games that I know people are betting on. Um, wait a minute. See, I knew a game disappeared. That means the game is finished. Three games are finished. I will give you guys updates on those first. Sam Darnold and his Carolina Panthers were able to pull it out in Atlanta, 19-13. I am 0-2 in my pick to start the week. I'm going to tell you why. <sighs> because this is the second time all season long that I've bet against the Packers. But, but, hear me out. I told I texted the group and I when I when we gave our picks and I said this is the game that Aaron Rodgers shows everybody why you don't bet against him. No Devontae Adams, you're missing. No disrespect to Devontae Adams, but aside from him, you're missing multiple people on field due to COVID. Two wide receivers, mm-hmm. Alan Lazard as well. You're missing your defensive coordinator. That's what made me pick Arizona. That move right there, the fact that, and, and is, it, is it Joe Barry, um, wasn't going to be there. And when I seen that, it forced me to think, and I taste the group and I said it in a moment, in addition to UNLV, or see, it's PTSD. In addition to you and me understanding the fact that Arizona's going to lose one day. Right. I don't think they're going undefeated this season. No. So I was like, this is probably the game that it happens. All signs are pointing to Arizona this week. Only other time I did that earlier this year was against Cincinnati because AFC team early in the season probably doesn't matter when it comes down to things in the grand scheme of things. And Mason Crosby missed four or five field goals that game. So Green Bay did everything they could to lose that game. So I just wanted to get that out in the open because – I had to answer for everything Packer, and this is the second time I've bet against them and the second time that they've proven me wrong. Every time they lose, I text the group as well. I've never been more happy to be wrong. Right. I'll take it. So the other games that have concluded, Detroit did get on the board, but it didn't matter. They fell 44-6 to to Philadelphia at home. They're a league's worst 0-8 on the year. The L.A. Rams – I'm going to chalk this up to them taking their defense out. I haven't even looked at the highlights. I'm chalking this up to them taking their defense out. They give up 22 points in the fourth quarter. They win, however. They improve to 7-1. and one. They take care of Houston in Houston, 38-22. to 22. Other games from around the league. Sorry, Salim. Your Miami Dolphins are still struggling on the road in Buffalo, down 20-11 to 11 with about two minutes to go in that fourth quarter. As we always, or as we said to start this show, this game is, of course, going to be tight. The Tennessee Titans currently hold a 31-24 lead on the Indianapolis Colts. They just scored. This is, I hate to say it, this is not the end of this game. No? I don't think so. A minute and a half, I could see Carson Wentz having an MVP-like drive. Absolutely. I think this is one of the moments that he can make it happen. In addition to that, I think this is one of those, if he wins comeback player of the year, we will be pointing to this drive as well because Joe Burrow is staring at a three-point deficit, 34-31, to approaching the two-minute warning against the one-in-five New York Jets. Um, To be quite honest with you, do we expect – I'll just ask. Do we expect Dak Prescott or or Joe Burrow to – 
win comeback player of the year? I think it's Dak. I I picked Dak at the beginning of the year. I think I picked Dak as well. If and I think he's gonna play tonight. I think it's sound. I know people are still up in the air. I just think they're probably holding him out at practice because they want to. They want him as fresh as he, they can get him for the game. This is Sunday Night Football. I think Dak's gonna play tonight, and if he does, I think he's gonna once again show everybody why he's making his case for comeback player of the year. And here's the weird part, and I said this on Wednesday, and I'm hoping you come around to this side of the fence with me. In the beginning of the season, I thought it was Dak Prescott as well. As the season goes on, unless Dak Prescott wins MVP as well, I don't think he's going to get comeback player of the year only because, and this is not to his fault, but – the simple fact that he was so good before the injury and the fact that when he went down with the ankle injury, he was leading the league in passing. Right. Certain things like that, I hate to say it, but two years down the line, keep in mind, if Joe Burrow was not doing what he's doing this season, I think it would be Dak Prescott's hands down. However, similar to what we saw last year with Alex, with Alex Smith, do we even know who was in second? It doesn't matter at that point, right? Now, this year, I think the only reason why critics and fans and whoever else may go with Joe Burrow is because whatever he does this year, it's probably going to be a career year. I think so. And I think that, by default, he had his best season coming off of that ACL tier as opposed to Dak Prescott probably remaining one of the top-tier quarterbacks after that I think the shocker may be the the bigger shock factor may be Joe Burrow having a great season in year number two after the injury as opposed to Dak Prescott in year what five or six now yeah I, no see I've been I've been way off on my time limit let me say seven or eight <laughs> it's probably one of those at this point Jeez. um but we have some other games that did already finish your Pittsburgh Steelers pulled it out <sighs> I got another one wrong <laughs> I got another one wrong 15 to 10 in Cleveland with a returning Baker Mayfield with an active Odell Beckham Jr. The smile that Matt is giving me right now, guys, I don't know what to tell you guys. I just, I don't know. I was reluctant on this game. I was last, this was actually the last game that I picked, but the San Francisco 49ers were able to squeak out a 10 point victory or excuse me, 11 point victory on the road. The Chicago bears fall to three and five on the season. One o'clock games have started. We're going to wrap up this UFC talk with the two championship fights, and then we're going to get into some local news. I don't know why this is loose. We don't like that. Um, So we're going to get into local news. The Bantamweight division. I tweeted yesterday, and I don't know if you saw my tweets because obviously it happened. The event was early in the morning. But I tweeted that – Go. I know you're going to go back and watch the event anyway, but go back and watch the event. But when you get to this co-main event, I thought this was going to be the show stealer on a card full of stacked, a stacked card, I should say. That fight was amazing. They did say, I I think Bilal Muhammad might have tweeted, and if it's not him, I apologize. Somebody tweeted, was that the greatest heavyweight or greatest championship fight that we've of all time? Without even thinking, I said no. And then I thought, and I said, that's not the best championship fight of the year. 
However, that's not to discredit this fight. That was an amazing fight. I said all of that to say, I get to the last round, and I'm halfway through it, and I throw up a tweet that says, does any, or I gave Corey Sanhagen one round. This fight is a dog fight, and Corey Sanhagen has won one round. I had it 49-46 at the end of it all. All three judges saw it 49-46. Chael Sonnen said that he felt that it was possibly 2-2 going into the fifth, or possibly going into the fifth round. He said that even if one of the judges would have threw up a split decision, I mean, would have threw up the fight for uh, Corey Sanhagen, and it would have been a split decision, he wouldn't have been mad. He said he needs to go back and watch the footage again because after the fight, Daniel Cormier asked plain as day. Do you think you won the fight? Corey Sanhagen said no. The reason why I paused with that is because before I follow up what I finished my tweet with, when I said I gave Corey Sanhagen one round, the second part of that tweet is Pewter Jan just wears on people. Pewter Jan lost his last fight to Aljamain Sterling due to an illegal strike. After the fight, Aljamain Sterling said he was getting his butt kicked. His last two opponents have admitted to getting handled by him. I do not like to to disrespect champions when there's an interim tag out there. I think last night we saw the best bantamweight in the division. In the world, that that to me uh, that's shocking. First off, uh, not so much on the fight, but the fact that you would hear that out of a fighter um, to hear it out of Corey Sanhagen specifically, because you, I mean, there's probably not very many fighters that, when asked that question, would admittedly go, "Yeah, I wasn't very good. I was losing." Paulo Costa still thinks he beat Mar- Marvin Vittori. You know, because it's UFC fighters. They're they're always in a sense, egotistical. Um, in a sense, they're very all about them, and they don't necessarily want to admit when they're not doing well. So well, the fact that th- you... That's how you're successful, right? I, well, at least I think. I mean, I wouldn't know, right? Yeah, I mean, but hey, I guess some of these guys, maybe they've, they've woken up and they, they've had a cup, some some of their, uh, their, help, their helping of humble pie. Hmm. It could be. Um, but it's, ver- it? it's very... It's very interesting that fighters would say that publicly that, yeah, this guy was working me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, maybe privately amongst their inner group, they, they may go, that wasn't my greatest fight. But to go out publicly and admittedly say that, I, I, I don't know. I think it's on the surface it sounds like it's it's good because then they, they can at least admittedly – see where their their weaknesses are but from a pr move it's like man you're really gonna go out there and say you got worked and i'm happy that you said that because you went exactly where i wanted to kind of take this in the direction of i'm not a guy that (laughs) it's probably not the best thing to say right now but i'm not the best i'm not the guy that cares about the pr not in the fight game i don't because like you just said at the end of the day if Corey sanhagen expects to be a top bantamweight you're probably gonna have to see him again so 
like you just said, admit the loss, figure out why you lost, correct it. Right. Aljamain Sterling is recovering from neck surgery currently, but he's had time to correct whatever, assuming that he's obviously working on his skills and other and other facets. I'm sure he's doing physical activity. I'm just not sure how much now. But he's working to fix those things as well. And he obviously is gonna get his opportunity. I'm guessing sometime I, I would think no later than early summer. I would think no later than early summer. I know he's coming off of a neck surgery and especially that devastating blow. Um this is the reason why I originally said that I wanted to revisit my mom's tipping. Because this fight, this main event, Habib, Habib's retirement, I think I got teary-eyed. And I know for a fact when Rose Namajunas won her belt, I cried. I know for a fact I cried. Now, the thing is, I find myself getting more sensitive with the fight game. And I don't know if it's because those athletes are more open about kind of everything that they're enduring, but I find it easier almost to, to cry in those situations. Last night, I got teary-eyed. It happened last night because if you know anything about Glover Teixeira, 20 years in the sport, 42 years of age, this is the part that gets me more than anything. August, or excuse me, April 26, 2014. April 26, 2014, Glover Teixeira was beaten by John Jones in his only championship fight. Keep in mind that that was seven years ago. Glover was 35 getting his first shot at gold. A lot of people thought in that moment that was his first and last shot. Matt, two years ago, I still thought it was his last shot. The run that Glover Teixeira has been on, I think the last time I doubted it may have been his last fight. I'm not sure if it was if Anthony Smith was his last fight, but I had Anthony Smith in that fight. And I watched Glover Teixeira pick apart Anthony Smith dissect him and I said then John Jones isn't in a division anymore so whoever has the belt has to deal with him if he gets a second shot I don't know what it looks like we saw it last night similar to what we said before Jan Blachowicz the night that he won the championship, everybody was was ecstatic for him considering his journey being 36 years old, I believe, at the time, 38 uh, as of yesterday. We watched Jan Blachowicz. He said after the fight that he believes that he may have less, left his legendary Polish power in the hotel room. He said he just couldn't, he doesn't know what happened. He couldn't get off. I think that it's less about what Jan did or couldn't do and more about what Glover did, which was when he took that light heavyweight championship. Any position he wanted in the octagon, he got it. Pushing Jan Blachowicz, kind of backing him up against the octagon cage or the the, uh, the side cage was necessary. He did it. 
I don't know, man. All I'm going to say is I thought in that moment after the fight, this is the moment where he retires. He has the belt. He can go home with it. I think the first thing out of Glover's mouth was I don't even know what to say. He may have said some general thank yous, and then he went right into I want to keep breaking records. I looked around and said, oh, well, he's not retiring. So, Dana, you got to figure out who's fighting him next. It's probably going to be Yuri, Pro, uh, Yuri Prochaska, Prochaska, excuse me, who was there in the arena as a backup. Yuri looks like the scariest person in the division, <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see what it looks like. Uh, he said May. If, if I'm believing Dana White to be the person that I hope him to be, especially with somebody that's given him that much time, I would assume that we wouldn't see Glover to share until May. I believe he called a shot. 42 years old. I think he's earned it. I want to update you guys really quick because we're actually jumping into our last little uh, set of conversation. Uh, second to last set of conversation, which is going to be our local news. We only have two segments to get to in local news. Remember I said Carson Wentz was going to have an MVP drive? He did, didn't he? I want to take you through the drive. Nine-yard pass, incomplete pass. The team was actually flagged for illegal formation. So they moved back five yards, incomplete again. On the third and six, he found Michael Pittman for eight yards. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, so there was, there was excuse me. So then there was an illegal use of hands. So back-to-back plays, Carson Wentz has been moved backwards. A second and one has turned into a third and 16. On a third and 16, Carson Wentz found Michael Pittman for 38 yards. Timeout, incomplete, incomplete, timeout, and then a direct snap to Naheem, excuse me, to Naeem Hines. And just, or excuse me, Jonathan Taylor finds the end zone. That score came with 22 seconds left. Tennessee just got the ball, noted down. We're headed to overtime. That's interesting. We talked about this coming into it. And I, like I said, I love our spot on the show because we're going to be here when this show or when this uh, game ends. We just don't know when it's going to end in this next 15 minutes, but it is going to end in this next 15 minutes. Speaking of endings, the Knights are done losing, it looks like. Um, you know what's funny? I woke up today and I was like, man, I got to look mad in the face. Um, I said, this is going to be difficult. I said, I just told him the last time I saw him. I'm hitting the panic button. And I thought this morning, I said, are you going to be that guy that backs off of the panic button already? I'm not. No. I'm I'm right there with you. I, the It's gotten to the point where I'm actively looking for a prop. Will the Golden Knights make the playoffs? Because I really want to take the no. Hmm. I don't believe that. I don't buy this as a playoff team yet. However, they've had a good string of three games in a row they've won you can still see a lot of their holes you can still see a lot of their downfalls go back to friday's game they were up four to one in the third period that game went to a shootout and the knights barely squeaked it out dodanov did it for him for a second time brings brings to and brings me back to another point on i believe it was wednesday wednesday you go to overtime with, I lied last Sunday. 
What's that? I said I lied. That was last Sunday. Oh, last Sunday. Um, you go to, I think it was Wednesday's game against the Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. You go to overtime. You barely get by there. You go to the game before that mm-hmm. against the Colorado Avs. Yep, Tuesday. That game was pretty much anybody's game up until about the third period when the Knights were, were able to put home an empty netter to really put it out of reach. So while this team is winning, there's still a lot of question marks. There's still a lot of, hmm, I don't know about that type of moments from the Knights. And I don't know if the way they're playing right now is sustainable for a full 82-game schedule. I think just be, you know, like we've seen them go on three-game winning streaks like we have just recently this past week. This team is one of those that they could easily go on three, four, five-game losing streaks because of how they're constructed and how they're built. And let's not forget, there is the, the trade talk around Jack Eichel has gotten significantly louder in the last week, which, for the record, I think the Knights would be absolutely foolish to trade for a guy like Jack Eichel. <laughs> don't get me wrong. He's a great player, but you're taking a gamble on him. You don't know how how good he's going to be post this surgery. Isn't that what Vegas is known for? It probably fits the theme just just right on right on cue that being in Vegas, you're just naturally going to take a gamble. But to me, trading for a guy like Jack Eichel is going to mean it probably Peyton Krebs mm-hmm. is in the deal. Probably a guy like Riley Smith is in the deal. And probably a guy like I'm trying to think of another decent piece you could add to that because you're going to have to probably give up at least your best prospect in Krebs and two solid pieces. One, I would imagine, maybe Riley Smith. The other, you'd maybe. I was ha- thinking Chandler Stevenson. Maybe even Chandler Stevenson. That's, I w- that's where my mind went before you said Riley. You see my eyes lit up when you said Riley. I was like, oh, I wasn't thinking that. But I, I was thinking maybe, maybe bo- Chandler. They might even be both. Again, yeah. it depends on the asking price for a guy like Jack Eichel. And I just don't think. From a contract standpoint, I hate the contract for Jack Eichel. It's a really bad deal. I don't want the Knights to take on that type of liability. From a trade aspect, that's a lot of assets to give up. Yeah. You're giving up arguably your top prospect in Peyton Krebs, who has come he's come across this year as one that has really so far risen up compared to where he has been in previous years. He's played tremendously well for being a young prospect. And he's gotten that deserved playing time that I think he's shown probably in practices and now through games that he's he's well-deserving of. That's a tall asking price. And if I'm the Vegas Golden Knights, I, I, think, I think I'm passing on a guy like Jack Eichel. There's too many liabilities, and there's too much what-ifs. So let me ask you two questions. I guess the first one, depending on how you answer it, it it's a two-part question. Um, My first question is, if the Golden Knights do not – win it all this year do they blow it up i think if they don't make the playoffs we could see a blow up but not if they not if they don't win it all so if they make the stanley cup it's fine i think if they make the stanley cup the vegas fan base will give it a pass and i think i hope you're right i completely disagree with you I, I know. <laughs> That's I know so weird. Because we, we've talked about these fans out here, and I think that they should give them a pass if they make it back to the to the Stanley Cup Finals, especially with a different team. It's not the same team. 
Now, if we were back with the same guys running it back, I get it. You're running it back with a lot of the guys, but it's not the same team. Hence the start. Now, I think even though it's not right, I think the fan base would have a problem if there's not a banner being raised, a championship banner being raised. Yeah, I mean, if they if they win the Stanley Cup, I don't see a blow-up coming up. Of course I, not, right? But if this team, like I said, let's say misses the playoffs, I'd even go as far as saying if they're out in the first round. That's what I was about to say. That was my second question because now I was going to make it three. So if they're out in the first round, if they're out before the second round and you're going to blow it up anyway and you start the season like this, and you see how quickly it can it can it can be snatched from you, and you lose three games straight, uh, or you lose three straight games. Wouldn't Eichel be worth that gamble alone? It depends, I guess, on the pieces you're already debating wanting to give away. Because if right now this is where I'm with you, because I mentioned Riley Smith along with Jonathan Marshall saw last season. I said I mentioned Flurry. I said, if the Knights don't win at all, you may have to get rid of some fan favorites. Like, you just may have to. Jonathan Marshall Salt was the name that I said. Obviously, we all agreed on, on Marc-Andre Fleury. I believe Tyler may have said Riley Smith. And I looked at him the same way. Like, fam, I don't know. Like, I don't – we'll figure it out. And now that you're mentioning it, if he's going to be in the trade, potentially, but you know for a fact that if you don't win at all, he's not coming back? To me, that in itself is worth the trade. When I think with the Golden Knights, you have to remember, nobody's really safe on this roster. Just go ask a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, arguably a Hall of Famer, and he gets dealt away for a bag of Doritos and a Snickers bar, essentially. I think anybody who's arguing that is out of their mind. I mean, the question shouldn't even be asked who won that trade. Chicago, by about four miles, won that trade. It was Chicago before they played a game. Yeah, exactly. And now on paper, they're they're decent. They're a lot better than what they've been probably the last two or three years. Which is what they wanted. (laughs) Like, which is what we're gearing towards. Right. Um, Well, as quickly as they lost those games, they won them. You just talked about it this past week. They won three straight games. Their first, obviously, three-game win streak of the year. They're four, four and zero on the year, eight points, fourth in the Pacific. Still behind Calgary, Edmonton, and San Jose, and you mentioned it earlier. If we're comparing them to the top of the Pacific, which is what we're tending to do, there's a long drop-off between three and four for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll leave it at that. Yeah, and the the road doesn't get any easier for the Golden Knights. This week alone, they have to go play the can I call it the Canadian swing. It's they true. play Toronto, they play Ottawa, and they play Montreal. And after that Montreal game, it they're in a back to back with Detroit. So they go from Montreal to Detroit a week from today. So that's four games in a week. You better hope this team has its momentum because if they start losing one. I think if they start, if they lose that first, Mm-mm. I would expect more to come with, because there's just not enough time. And those teams that they're playing in um, in Canada, they're not bad teams. Toronto, yeah. when I looked at the game, I thought Toronto's a toss up, Ottawa's a toss up, Montreal they could probably beat. Montreal's not as good. Kings just took care of them too. And the Red Wings aren't a sleeper, or they they're a sleeper team. They're better than people think. I, they're not they're not the traditional Detroit Red Wings that have been kind of slacking as of recent years. 
they're better. So you could we could be sitting here next week or, you know, next Monday, whatever it may be, with a Golden Knights team that just finished off the Canadian swing one and three. That's a very real possibility if they don't play their cards correctly. How many times are we going to hit the panic button this year? Oh, my hand's going to stay firmly pressed on it. You can put the duct tape on it until fur- further notice because this team is just so inconsistent. They haven't shown any consistency to where you alleviate that that panic from the fan base because I think any reasonable Vegas Golden Knight fan should ver- be very concerned right now with what's going on. They played on Friday. They did. Got the weekend off. They actually will get a three-day weekend because they get Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Tuesday are back in action. You just talked about it. They're opening up at Toronto. Four o'clock, puck drop. Again, that date, in case you needed it, November 2nd. Year's almost over, man. Clearly, I thought I was still in the same year with Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker, so I guess that means we're headed into 2022. At this point, I just do what they tell me. Um... From winning streaks to losing streaks, I don't want to do it. Nobody does. I don't want to do it. I'll be honest with you. I'm looking at these notes like, where do I start? And the weird thing about this question of where do I start, it's three weeks in a row that I've said that. Because I've truthfully gotten tired of repeating the same story. And what I will say is I'm not (laughs) – I'm hoping that I'm not that guy. I went to Westchester High School. And our football team was so-so, up and down at times. Yet and still, when I got to Cerritos, I covered a college football team, granted it's JC, that won. And won pretty consistently. Even in my high school time when we always laughed and, oh, yeah, Westchester's going to lose, Westchester's going to this, then a third. I have never in my time of covering sports ever not known like what to do in a situation and in this particular situation I'm telling you the stories are the same every week the reporting on the game audibly is the same every week I guess this is the time that I go ahead and inform you guys that if you include today don't this is not a Halloween joke, so don't 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 freak out, guys. I don't want to hear screams around the valley. But UNLV has not won a football game in seven hundred and two days. Seven oh two. I'm mad I laughed at that. I'm mad I laughed at it. I'm mad. What do we what do you want me to say? Do something. Say something. Uh, you wanna just leave? We can get out. <laughs> we can just we can just we can avoid the entire conversation. I mean, it, it, you almost feel bad for the fans that go to these games it, because you know that they're walking into the building about to waste three hours of their life for the same result every week, and it's gotten to the point. And I'm gonna I'm gonna key in right here on the UNR loss particularly. Let's do it. Everything I said last week about UNLV football, it's been on tape. You can take that tape, you can throw it in the garbage because it's gone. The progress this team has made in the last four games before the UNR game wiped away clean. I don't think it's there anymore. I like, well, obviously I don't like hearing that, but I like the fact that you said that because I not something I considered. As a person who watched the team, week two I saw some stuff that I was like, this don't look good. 
But what did you see in that game that that just something wasn't right for you? I saw a team that didn't care. I saw a team that didn't have any more fight in them. I saw a team that was four steps behind <laughs> UNR. It's it's you know you didn't say guys. He didn't say one four. He said four. And sometimes that was literally in the secondary when they were chasing down Romeo. I think it's Romeo Dubs. Is that how you say his last name? Sam, I, 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 <laughs> and a, I don't want to be that guy, but I'm telling you, they always tell you to focus on the home team. Yeah. Even more than that, at a certain point, I'm telling you, I think I'm numb to it. Yeah. I got numb to it. It's it's one of those that we're. I'm, I remember I'm sitting there with. Uh, my radio show co-host that I do weekly show with. Yes, sir. We're sitting there watching this game, and he's literally pointing out the open receiver before the snap even starts. He's saying, "Why is nobody covering number one for UNR?" Sure enough, Carson Strong drops back little eight-yard dump off to one, and he's taking it another twenty-five yards down the field. When you know that's bad, when a nineteen-year-old is sitting there pointing out the holes in the defense and a guy in Marcus Arroyo who is being paid like a full-time head coach. He's got the facilities like he's a full-time head <laughs> football coach. Even he can't pick up on that. I mean, that's football one oh one. That, that the, the, some of the defense that I saw, I don't know if we would even see it out of the Alabama fifth string hmm. unit. I don't know if Nick Saban would allow that to happen. The answer is no. I don't think it would. It was so bad. And they were down, I think, 17 to nothing, maybe even 20 to nothing. I will check right now. Before 20 they, to nothing at halftime. Before they could even 27 point. to nothing, 34 to nothing. Yeah. 34 to nothing before they got on the board. 34 points before UNLV even thought about putting any points up on the board. Keep in mind, this is a rivalry game. This is not your average Joe game. This is not. I was like, finish your point, but I want you to stay right there. You just said it's a rivalry game, but make your point. You said it's not a, it's not an average Joe game. It's not an average Joe game, and I would even say that this team, as crazy as this sounds, looked better against Iowa State than they looked against UNR. Here's where I want to go with it, because you just hit the nail right on the head, because I want to tie into your points. You mentioned Marcus Arroyo who obviously if the team falls to 0-8 this season, he falls to 0-14 as head coach at UNLV. I don't know if I can be more disturbed than that, but this is more disturbing to me. Than, to me. You want me to make this point without Tony Sanchez or with him? However you choose. I'm going to try to make it without him because we're going to tie it in anyway. Let's make the point without him. Last year, Halloween, week one, football. We don't know if we're going to get football at all last year. We get football, Nevada Day, Halloween, Allegiant, the Death Star. You bring in the rival, this cannon is staying red. And then we saw Marcus Arroyo's debut for UNLV. I want to fast forward really quick to what we did. I guess rewind it from now, but fast forwarding from there, when Justice Oluwashun made his announcement to go to Miami, we were at the Westgate in the clubhouse. We asked him some questions about his time at UNLV after the fact, and I told him he didn't have to answer this if he didn't want to. 
But we were trying to gauge last season at what point the team quit. I told him I said week two. I forgot what Celine said. I forgot what Daryl said. He looked at me and said, you're about right. I said, who? I'm about right? I said week two. He said, yeah, no. You're about right. Wow. Week two. I said, wow. So I saved that point, and I brought it up now to say Marcus Arroyo was 0-14. That's fact. Is it possible that his two worst losses are to UNR? In terms of the way that the team looked. Yeah, they've looked unresponsive against UNR in both games. We've been trying to make the, the, the designation of if he's going to stick around, which to me last night solidified it. That was the final nail in the coffin last night. He won't be back. I don't care if they win the last four. He won't be back. I don't think with the with the way that I – there were multiple that's out there nows from Twitter that night, and I let them all go. I don't think this fan base is going to stand for losing to UNR. And this is where Tony Sanchez comes in. Tony Sanchez had a great record against UNR. Because if he didn't know how to do anything else, he knew how to take that rivalry seriously. I'll leave it at that. Even after being fired, by the way, he took the rivalry seriously. Went up, got got the cannon, painted it red, and probably told DRF to... You could probably fill in that blank later on. Absolutely. Because that was after he got fired. You can see it in the response. And Tony Sanchez, and and people have always kind of questioned because of some of the questions that I've been forced to ask. But like I tell people, I chronicle the team. So the questions that I asked are because of things that I've seen. You don't have to like the question. It is what it is. But because of some of those interactions, a lot of people got the wrong notion that I didn't like Tony Sanchez. I said, that's where you guys are getting a lot of stuff confused. I don't personally know Tony Sanchez enough to like him or dislike him. I judge Tony Sanchez, the football coach. That's it. Not the man, not the father, not the husband, none of the rest of that. I would have to to dislike him. I would have to know how you act in those other situations. I don't. That said, I've always credited Tony Sanchez for being an even kill guy. He gets fired up in his moments, but when they lose, it seemed like in most cases he knew the right thing to say. When they won, ultimate professional. Ultimate professional when they lost as well. I watched Tony Sanchez become a different person after that win at UNR. He knew what he was leaving. Yeah. He knew that I was, at the time, considering what UNLV football is, he was leaving about as close to top as you can get. That's as close to on top as you're going to get here in Vegas, at least currently. Right. I say that to say this. I have two more points for you, and this is the reason why I want to get out of here. Because they're still on the road, but they're going to New Mexico. I was looking at teams in the conference before I even looked at the schedule before the season. I said New Mexico, Fresno State, and I said Colorado State. Just looking at looking at the teams in the conference before the season. Mainly because New Mexico, th- that – for this program, it should always be a winnable game. Should be. Should be. <laughs> Yet and still, 
Fresno State, they always played them well, whatever the case may be. I said that to say they're playing New Mexico now. New Mexico is at 3-5 and five on the year, 1-3 in the conference. If UNLV does not win this game, UNLV will go 0-12 this season. I don't disagree with that. The reason why I let it breathe is because I'm pretty certain. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I disagree with that. Hawaii is a game under 500, which means they lose next week, or I guess it's upcoming week. They already have six losses. Are they going to want to get their seventh loss from a winless UNLV team and fall out of bowl contention? Probably not. They're going to play for something. So even if they're five and five, do you think they want to have their last loss come to UNLV? I don't think they want to see that either. Air Force is six and two. San Diego State, we're not even going to talk about. Because <laughs> why? Right. Oh, we didn't say the score. UNLV lost 51 to 20, guys. Next. Um, do you have anything else to kind of add to that in terms of their win loss? Because I guess the last thing we're going to end UNLV's part with is. I guess some good news. Like, this is all the good news that we have for this team so far. I will say it's an unpopular opinion around town. Marcus Arroyo will be back next year. And, in fact, probably should be. You want to explain the should be? So in case anybody has questions at home and they're throwing stuff at, at, the, at, their, at their phones right now? Yeah, pl- please don't damage your phones when you hear this. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, no. Um, because it's the smart thing to do. Financially, it is the very smart thing to do. Because if if you're one of those that is so adamant about wanting to fire Marcus Arroyo at the end of this year, that's fine. But then be in, keep in mind you're you're going to be willing to be okay with I think over a three million dollar buyout on top of whatever you're going to have to buy either a coach out from their current contract at a different school, or if you find a coach that's available, what you're going to have to pay, which I would imagine, given the market, we're probably going to get to the one and a quarter per year. If we have Marcus Arroyo at about one a year, mm-hmm. you're going to have to increase that probably about 25% to 1.25 a year. Not as, to mention the facilities around the city. As a booster, if, you do, if you're so adamant that Marcus Arroyo is not the guy, then you have to be okay with the, de- the financial decision to get rid of him. And to me, that's a big buyout for UNLV. Three point probably 3.5, I would imagine, somewhere in that area. I think it's over three, his buyout, because of how Desiree Refrancois structured the contract to where, it, very similar to like when she brought in T.J. Otzelberger, made it almost impossible to fire him mm-hmm. because of how, the, how much the buyout would be. The buyout was so high. So it's one of the, and we're only talking about year two. Right. Of a... Five-year contract, I believe. Yes, TJ left after year two too, or year after year two as well. Right. Granted, he had a couple of wins, but TJ. I mean, uh, TJ Otzelberger is another one that I could probably go on for a different podcast. We're gonna have an entire UNLV basketball uh, show. Be- trust me. 
By the way, they're coming up yeah, absolutely. very soon. Um, anyway, sticking here with Marcus Arroyo, I know that even if they go winless, I know the headline. He's 0-18. Mm-hmm. I won't deny that. But then I'll say this is only year two, and he's had to turn around an entire football team because not a lot of Tony Sanchez's guys stuck sticked around. He had to. He was starting a guy last year. Well, guys, I should say, he started with Justin Rogers for a little bit. He had Cameron, or not Cameron Friel, but uh, Kenyon Oblad for a little bit. Yeah. Um, Doug Max Brunfield Gilliam. saw a little bit. Doug, Max Gilliam. This is a guy that's been trying to establish a quarterback moving forward, and we believe now it, it's probably going to be Cameron Friel, but there's also been murmurs about maybe Doug Brunfield comes back. Brunfield looked amazing before he went down. He did. And that's kind of the other head scratcher because it was reported that Doug Brunfield was making really good progress and could probably play against New Mexico. He was dressed. But they wanted to hold him out against UNR. I would say what's the point of holding him out against UNR? You have nothing left to lose. This is a rivalry game. Don't you want your best pieces on the field? Because I would take a 90 or 95% Doug Brunfield over 100% Cameron Friel, uh, over, definitely over 100% Justin Rogers, and probably up until this point at least 100% Tate Martell. Who's been taking reps as a wide receiver in practice. Right. So <laughs> This I, program is so all over the place, dog. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. This program makes me think that I don't know sports. It it has that effect on a lot of people. It just it makes me think that like we're running the like you know the like you know the hamster wheel. Yeah. Like I think I'm in the I'm either I'm either in that or a rat maze. Uh, one of the two. I mean I'm just surprised that Circus Circus did a relocation over to the Fertitta complex because that's basically <laughs> the equivalence that we got right now. Man, they they're not gonna like this this segment at all and what we're talking about. But I, I I've said this before, and just in doing my research, I don't think that i know anything like obviously about the situation i know where i get like a feeling but you just brought up a point that we're to where i kind of feel like i can't have the feeling you brought up uh the contract that desiree refrance so i gave marcus arroyo in addition to tj osselberger it's not the same thing with tj osselberger but i did think about it as soon as marcus arroyo came in and then we had heard murmurs about desiree refrancois applying for pretty much every athletic director job or uh yeah athletic director job that opened up across the country but after Marcus Arroyo got hired they got louder for some reason and that made me question just a lot I was just like why are they louder now excuse me now in doing my research I'm just looking into both of them right like I told uh Celine over a year ago where did Marcus Arroyo go to college I don't believe it was UNLV, was it? San Jose State. San Jose State. Where did Desiree Reed Francois go to college? Was it San Jose State again? All I'm doing is pointing out two facts. One other point to point out about both TJ and Marcus Royal's contract, both were fully funded by the athletic department. There was no booster money involved. That's why... Somebody gave me bad information about TJ's contract then. Because it was one of the... I think unless... She was saying that as a PR, but it came from Desiree Re Francois herself saying, No, this is fully funded by the athletic department. Weird. I won't say whether she's lying or not right now, 
Do you believe Desiree Reed Francois has ever lied to the media? I've had my questions about statements that have been truthful or not truthful. Um, for example, she didn't even have to say anything, but the fact that she didn't volunteer to take any questions after promoting Kevin Kruger. Why? You're the athletic department, or you're that. Yeah, you're the athletic director. This the was your. This was your hire. Don't you think you should field some questions? But that's a, that's a different, uh, different uh, story in its own right. I point that out to say, the boosters can jump up and down and scream all they want. If this is if this is true, and the athletic department is fully funding this contract for Marcus Arroyo, they can jump up and down all they want. It's really at the hands of the athletic department if they are okay with that buyout. And keep in mind, too, you have Eric Harper, who's in an interim AD role right now for the program, or not for the program, for the university. And um, I'll be honest with you, I've talked to Eric maybe twice. And like I said before, it wasn't about anything UNLV really related. And uh, or twice recently, I should say. And I have never seen a person so fresh to a job look so stressed about a job. Yeah. I mean, UNLV has that effect. I mean, I think Marvin, Marvin Menzies even got a few gray hairs the the more he was here. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's, like you said, it's, it's, it's an effect. And the weird thing is, I just watched The Butterfly Effect not too long ago, and it's something. Like, and, I, and I'm, <laughs> I tweeted it out recently because uh, Charles Oakley went to a Brooklyn Nets game, got yeah. recognized, and I tweeted it, and I said, the Knicks can't prosper until they fix this, right? With a question mark. Because I don't know. I don't know what the rules of sports are anymore. But I look at certain things like UNLV, and it kind of goes back to what you said before. I think back to what could have cursed this program. And I think Desiree Reed Francois getting and ultimately being handed multiple opportunities to dismiss Tony Sanchez, I'm talking maybe three or four. She still did it at the at the wrong time, hundred percent. And I think that cursed the program. I don't know where it ends. I I just don't think you do that to to somebody that's homegrown. I just I don't know. And I was one of those people that everybody thought I was calling for his job. All I'm doing is following what she said. She said if we're not five hundred, we're firing him. He went five and seven. He was back the following year. I don't know. That's what she told me. I'm looking at her like, did you change your mind? And her only response is, we're trying to build a program like basketball. Cool, but don't you got to start with, like... That's a little concerning, by the way. I mean, if are we really trying to aspire to what, at that point, UNLV basketball was? That's the main point, because it was. Why are we putting the ceiling on that? Like, oh, if we can be okay like basketball, because that's probably what I would have classified it as, is just okay... Shouldn't you want to aspire the program to win as many games as possible? Not just settle for mediocrity? But then again, that's Desiree Francois for you. An interesting human in in her own right. An interesting character. That's that's probably the best way I could leave it at. Very interesting. I will say for sure with Desiree, the one thing that I've always, uh, like I said, I deal with people in there in my interactions with them. Regardless of whether I question some of her moves or her motives or whatever the case may be, uh, Desiree was always 
cool to me in terms of speaking to me and speaking to the media. Um, like you said before, I think a lot of PR training obviously goes into that job, but I think in certain moments you could hear Desiree's PR training come through the, the, the microphone. And I think that's where a lot of people's frustrations with her came. Um, it's like when a politician lies, we all expect every politician to lie. And then we sometimes run across, I know people have brought up Biden and or Hillary Clinton and or Trump. When somebody just blatantly lies, it's like, fam, you don't even care enough to try to fix it. Like, we already know you lying, but you don't, you don't want to work on a lie. Like, you don't want to, you didn't think about it at all when you went home. Like, I refuse to believe that you didn't give this any more thought than just right now. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. It's kind of a side note, but it's one that I picked up on. I want you to go back, and I want you to listen to Marcus Arroyo's introductory press conference. I want you to go listen to T.J. Otzelberger's introductory press conference, and I want you to do the same with Kevin Kruger. I guarantee they're all the same. They are the exact same script. All they did was cut the name out and paste a new one in. Because in every one of those three, there's a tie to Las Vegas, there's a you know, the basic PR that you're going to get of, oh, well, we want to change the, the program and the culture. They all say the it same thing. It starts with the community. Commu- yeah. If, the, if, I, if you had taken the names of Arroyo, T.J. Otzelberger, and Kevin Kruger away and said, what's the difference between these three speeches, you'd still be sitting there trying to figure it out because they're the exact same. And part of me wonders... Did Desiree Re Francois put that script in front of those those individuals and say, just say this and you'll be okay? I'm going to have somebody work on those three and see if we can clip them together. Because if it's not the same word for word, they're getting the they're getting the same concept across. Even if it's the blueprint. Yeah. Even if it's the Roman numerals of the chapters of right. what the book is going by. Right. Community is chapter three. It starts with the community. Tony, and then Marcus Arroyo comes up here and say, well, we got to be community driven. Same point. <laughs> like, you don't have to say use the same words. Same point, though. We get we get the idea. Uh, two updates. I might as well give you guys these updates before we get out of here for the day. Both of these games finished 34-31. That gives you an indication on what happened with Joe Burrow and his Cincinnati Bengals. They fell short to Mikey White. I said Mikey White. Excuse me. To Mike White. And the New York Jets. That's win number two for the Jets. They're two and five. Don't look now, but they're two and one at home. It's the Robert Sala effect. And then the other game that finished 34 to 31, Carson Wentz had that one drive. Didn't happen again in overtime. Tennessee was able to kick home a game-winning field goal. They improved to six and two on a year. This AFC finish is going to be insane. Uh, both of these finishes, to be quite honest with you, but I think the NFC will kind of sort itself out. I don't know what's going on in the AFC. Yeah. <laughs> what's happening? It, 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 that Tennessee game was interesting because there was a ton of people, and even a lot of repeat people that I respect, they were saying, Indy, this game. And I said, I hate this pick, but I'll take Tennessee. I've uh, The past two weeks at least two weeks ago, maybe even last week as well, I bet against Tennessee, and I wasn't about to go 0 for 3. And people were all saying, Tennessee's due for a letdown, this is their spot, this, that. 
okay, take the Colts. I'll sit over here taking Tennessee. I might be the only one. I I literally might be the only one. But until they prove me otherwise, Tennessee seems like the better team. And I I was saying this on like Thursday or Friday. That you've been calling Tennessee recently. And then to the other point that we had brought up earlier, there were a lot of people that liked the Browns. I liked the Browns today. And I and my only statement to that was Go back to the countless times Mike Tomlin has had to win a game. This was a game he had to win. If you would have said that, I would have changed my pick. And that was my – people still called it a homer pick, but I said, if the Steelers don't win this game, they're kissing their playoff hopes goodbye. This is a game – Would have went to three and four, yeah. They would have had to win, and they did. And it was ugly, probably as I expected, but nonetheless, I still thought the Steelers – are going into this game as underdogs, notable underdogs, I think four, four and a half. You want to give that many points to a a very, in my opinion, through his history, a very clutch head coach in Mike Tomlin that has come up big? A hundred percent. If anybody tells you he's not clutch, look at the people he lost to. Um, I'll leave it at that. And it's funny, the Tennessee and Pittsburgh were the only two games that I that I had picked today. And they, they were really both going against the grain. And I was perfectly okay with that. Much like, I think there was a lot of people that were upset about that Cincinnati game. Just now? Because of the liability. How many parlays, how many Mm -hmm. teasers. Absolutely. That Cincinnati was a part of. I could tell you that half of Las Vegas' parlay fell through when it just won. And the books are doing victory laps right now. They're loving it. They're probably doing the happy dance in the back at Westgate right now. Like the Jets winning... Everybody, all the other favorites, all the other public bets that hit today, they could all hit. The books just made their weekend's money on the Jets, plain and simple. That's the way sports betting works for you. It's nuts. And it's crazy because it, people go, well, how does, this ha- how does this happen? How did the Jets win to a team like the Bengals who has been on fire? And even more than that, I just was kind of startled by this information, but they just kind of updated it. Carson Wentz threw a pick in overtime that led to the game-winning uh, field goal. So that was two interceptions from Carson Wentz in clutch time. Remember, the Titans took the lead 31-24 off of a pick six. So you throw an interception to allow Tennessee to go ahead 31-24, and then you throw an interception to set up Tennessee for a game-winner. Not even set him up. I mean, obviously he did set him up, but now we can look at the the result. You lost the game. <laughs> you gave them the game. It's not even about setting them up. They made the field goal. So, yeah, I mean, like you just said before, it was a situation that you went in kind of knowing that it was possible, and it happened. And I liked Indy in that game. And I want to just get this out the way now because I mentioned my Packers earlier and how I was happy to be wrong about that one. I'm not happy about the rest of these. I had Arizona. I had Atlanta, who had lost Atlanta. to Carolina. I had Atlanta. I had Indy, who lost to Tennessee. I had Cleveland, who lost to Pittsburgh. I had Cincy, who lost to the Jets. I hope the rest of this goes well. <laughs> now, the only thing I'll say about Cincy is I'm actually – I pick, I'm in a pick contest, so I picked, obviously, the Bengals. Don't really care much about that. But I'm in a different contest. It's a just a pool. Cincinnati was – the hev- most heavily picked team this week in that pool. I'm on the, personally, I'm on the Chiefs in that one. So as long as the Chiefs win, I'm 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 good for the next week because it's a survivor pool. 
there was, I think. You're going to win. You're, you'll be fine. I think you'll be that's fine. That's why. And I, if you do not, let's address this right now. If you're not fine this week. I don't know. We have a bigger conversation to talk about right. than, why, than where you went wrong. Right. Because, But I looked at the numbers. I think there was 50 or 60 entries left in this survivor pool. 22 of them were on the Bengals. All out. So, I, I mean, part of me is like, sweet, that's less people I got to worry about next week. 100%. <laughs> so, uh, I'm cool with getting Cincy wrong in one contest to then help in another contest. Like, it's not a big deal. It always washes out, right? Yeah. Give you guys one more square update before we get out of here. Because this last sports topic, I actually, interestingly enough, I thought I was going to start with it. Or not start with it. We already kind of started with it. And I don't want to sandwich the show with it. Uh, well, I think we've had an amazing show today, so I don't want to sandwich it with this. But you guys would get kind of where I'm going as I give you guys these updates. But I got to go see SoFi Stadium. As much as I love what Allegiant looks like, being from Inglewood, California, I have to see the inside of SoFi. I've seen the outside of SoFi. Just have to. <laughs> I just need to walk. And the funny thing is, too, I'll give you guys one little quick, not even a story. But I had one moment when I covered my first game at the Coliseum covering the USC uh, Trojans. Obviously, UNLV's week one matchup. It was September of 2019, I believe, and or maybe 2018. And walking out of the tunnel, I told my dad, and I do this every now and again, I took some grass. And he was like, why did you do that? And I looked at it and I told him, like, we got to remember as, as sports fans our childhood dreams. We have to remember those. My mom always tells me that oftentimes, like, I'm, I'm, I keep, like, checklists with me. So she says, usually I'm on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. I don't realize a lot of times I'm in the middle of what I used to pray for. And that hit me one day. And because of that, when I picked up the grass, my dad was like, why'd you do that? And I looked at him and I said, just to know that it's real. Like, I grew up an SC fan. Like, I went on a college tour to UCLA and told them straight to their face, y'all could pay for my full ride, I wouldn't come. That's bold. They were, they were, they, I know they called me all types of crazy when I walked out of that room, but I meant it. Yeah. My mom worked at USC. My grandmother worked at USC. My uncle and my aunties worked at USC. If I walk in the house with Brewing Blue, I don't know what may happen. Like, the house turns. <laughs> so... That's why I kind of had that moment where when I got there before the game, I was like, above all else, I got to make sure that this is real because I'm here. So I said to say I kind of need one of those moments in SoFi, too, because I have tremendous ties to Hollywood Park. We'll talk about it hopefully on the podcast. But since y'all blew up my Hollywood Park for it, I'm taking some of the grass. Anyway, uh, speaking of SoFi, the Chargers are out to a 14 to 7 lead on the New England Patriots. I did think about it going into this game. I get Justin Herbert isn't a rookie anymore. Bill Belichick has looked bad in moments this year. I felt like he was his defense was going to look really bad today. And I don't know that it won't happen. We're only, what is it, eight minutes now into the second quarter? I don't know that that second half doesn't have an explosion coming from the Chargers. We'll see. I expected this explosion, though. The Seattle Seahawks are up 14 and nothing on the one win, Jacksonville Jaguars, another head coach that I believe will be in the city for, or won't be in the city any longer after this season, and that's Urban Meyer. 
We got a 7-7 tie in this matchup that I'm about to rush home for right now between the Tampa Bay Bucks and the New Orleans Saints. 4-2 New Orleans at home hosting the 6-1 Bucks. Of course, they're the defending champs. The Bucks one loss this season did come on the road. This last game that I purposely left last, you guys are probably going to look at me like, why is this one last? But I left the Washington football team and the Denver Broncos for last because it's, first of all, tied at zero in the second quarter. But that was actually my last point for today. Did you hear, and I can't wait to get to this next show, and I'm happy it's a Wednesday night show too so we can really get into what we need to get into. Did you hear Roger Goodell come out, I think early last week, or early this week I should say, and said that the league does not plan, not even plan, will not release all 650,000 of those emails from the John Gruden report? I heard a headline to that effect, yes. That headline lived for about two days, and I thought about it and was like, are we going to just let him say no? Because that's essentially what he did. The latest news, and I want to make sure I'm getting this right. Let me lock my phone so I can make sure I'm scrolling to the right one because it threw me off. Take that back. Couldn't have lived more than a day because on Tuesday – Former Washington football team employees reached out to the league and urged them to release those emails. Wow. I've been wanting to say this for a couple of years. This is going to cost Roger Goodell his job. It's probably about time. If that doesn't tell you, by the way, that Gruden resigning, firing, however you want to label it. It was a, it was hush. If that doesn't tell you that the, this was an inside job on Gruden and this was the league's ultimate plan to finally be done with John Gruden one, once and for all, I don't know what tells you that. I'm not sure where we go from here. All I'm going to say is the reason why I said that this is probably going to cost Roger Goodell his job because of one glaring thing. If in those 600, actually, what did they release? 17, right? From John Gruden? Yeah. So where are we at now? You know I'm not the biggest math fan. I mean, the biggest math fan. Obviously, we're journalists. So 649,000, what is that? 983? Yeah. So out of those 649,000 plus emails, if we find one thing that's racist, homophobic, or misogynistic, Roger Goodell lied. Point blank, period. You know it's going to come up. So when do we get to it? Because there's a reason they're not releasing them. Probably because they've already gone through them. And they've looked at them and will. They're went, worse than John Gruden's. That's why. Exactly. They looked at them and said to themselves, we can't release these. These are no way we can do that. I'm to the point to where Roger Goodell may step down amidst the the Because the, at this point, I still don't think they're going to do it. But now there's going to be an inside, a outside investigator that's coming in. And Roger Goodell is, in my opinion, I think he'll step down before the report fully comes out. No surprise either that Roger Goodell has made the most amount of money in his career the past two seasons. 
I think that's a perfect way to end the show. Guys, we gave you guys two hours. Until next time, keep on talking. <laughs>